around me, and God pretty much exists to fulfill my life and to make me happy. That's life from God, this, this idea. Life over God has us imagining that we can hold God to our own standards of fairness and payback. So when I claim to trust and worship God, I expect that God is going to repay me with the rewards that I think are appropriate, and you better come through or else. That's life over God. Life for God, which Albert is going to be talking about, and I'll explain more next week, has us constantly seeking God's approval. And today we are going to explore more of what life under God looks like. Now when I say the phrase under God, some of you might immediately think of our American Pledge of Allegiance. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Others might think of Bible verses that talk about everything being under Christ, meaning that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The phrase under God is not actually ever found in Scripture like that. Um, but there's still this idea of God being ultimately over and in charge of everything. How good or bad this phrase under God sounds probably depends on under God's what? <laughs> under God's protection? Under God's authority? Under God's thumb? It may not even sound entirely like a bad thing being under God. But if you stripped away any preconceived notions... If you didn't have any religious or biblical concept and somebody told you, you are under God, what would you imagine? I imagine it might look something like this. You are under God. God is over you. It reminds me of an exercise we did in our positive discipline class. I was in this for the past eight weeks, um, which just finished this past Friday. It was really great. Um, one of us, the parent, was supposed to stand up on a chair, and another parent in the class was supposed to be on the floor or to make ourselves as small as possible, right? And the idea is that the one on the chair was going to pretend to be the parent. And we would speak harshly, of course, just pl playing, pretending, not for reals, but speak harshly to the person who was standing on the floor. And, the, and then we were supposed to switch. So now the next person, the other person, was supposed to stand on the chair and speak harshly to us. And the idea is that we were supposed to get the feeling for how a kid feels when they are small and a parent does this and yells at them and talks, you know, angrily to them. And how do we feel being the kid? And, of course, as you might imagine, being the kid felt kind of terrible. Uh, we felt belittled. We felt worthless and helpless. The idea of being under God can bring to mind images of dominance, not relationship. So today we're going to take a closer look at what this life under God looks like and what the alternative is and the escape is from that and why life with God is so much better. And we're going to be looking at a story from the Bible. Now actually I want to, uh, to show a video. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. Teacher. Who sin caused him to be born blind? Was it his own or his parents' sin? His blindness has nothing to do with his sins or his parents' sins. He is blind so that God's power might be seen at work in him. As long as it is they, he must keep on doing the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. And no one can work. <laughs> While I'm in the world, I am the light for the world. Uh. 
After he said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with the spittle. He rubbed the mud on the man's eyes. Go and wash your face in the pool of Salam. This name means scent. So the man went, washed his face, and came back, seeing. His neighbors then, and the people who had seen him begging before this, asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? He's the one. No, he isn't. He just looks like him. I am the man. How is it that you can now see? The man called Jesus made some mud, rubbed it on my eyes, and told me to go to Siloam and wash my face. So I went, and as soon as I washed, I could see. Where is he? I don't know. Then they took to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. The day that Jesus made the mud and cured him of his blindness was a Sabbath. Pharisees then asked the man again how he had received his sight. He put some mud on my eyes. I washed my face, and now I can see. A man who did this cannot be from God, for he does not obey the Sabbath law. How could a man who is a sinner perform such miracles as these? And there was division among them. You say he cured you of your blindness. Well, what do you say about him? He is a prophet. The Jewish authorities, however, were not willing to believe that he had been blind and could now see until they called his parents. Is this your son? You say that he was born blind. How is it then that he can now see? We know that he is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But we don't know how it is that he is now able to see, nor do we know who cured him of his blindness. Ask him. He is old enough, and he can answer for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, who had already agreed that anyone who said he believed that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is old enough, ask him. A second time, they called back the man who had been born blind. Promise before God that you will tell the truth. We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. 
I do not know if he's a sinner or not. One thing I do know. I was blind. And now I see. What did he do to you? How did he cure you of your blindness? I have already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Maybe you too would like to be his disciples. They insulted him and said, You are that fellow's disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for that fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. What a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but he cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anyone giving sight to a person born blind. Unless this man came from God, he would not be able to do a thing! You were born and brought up in sin! And you are trying to teach us. And they expelled him from the synagogue. Jesus heard what had happened. He found the man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me who he is, sir, so that I can believe in him. You have already seen him. And he is the one who is talking with you now. I believe, Lord. And he knelt down before Jesus. I came to this world to judge, so that the blind should see and those who see should become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and asked him, Surely you don't mean that we are blind too. If you were blind, then you would not be guilty. But since you claim that you can see, this means that you are still guilty. Um, the reason I wanted to read this, uh, or I wanted you to see this video clip, is because it's pretty much word for word from the scripture, um, what actually happens in this story of Jesus healing a blind man. <clears throat> um, and so I wanted you to, to see it happening, rather than just, just reading it. And you can always go back and read it in John chapter 9. Um, so once you get past the, uh, the British accents, and a couple of actors who didn't get the memo, um, it's, it's kind of cool to see the story kind of unfold right in front of you. And what you see, what you, what you notice in this story from the Bible is that um, this story kind of has three parts. Um, there's the healing, and then there's the investigation into the healing, and then there's the, the spiritual application, talking about spiritual blindness. So let's take, kind of take this section by section and see what is God showing us through this about what this life living under God versus a life with God can look like. So the first section is, is the healing, when he is healed. You know, one of the signs that you are stuck living a life under God is that you always feel that God is mad at you. There's one sign that you are living a life under God is that you feel, you always have this sense that God is mad at you. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do, the bad things always seem to catch up. Your past always seems to be hanging over your head or right in your face. Maybe it's remembering your past 
Maybe it's someone else keeps holding your past over your head. Maybe it's real guilt over something, or maybe it's false guilt. Maybe it could even be a past that never really happened, a past that's been invented to keep you down. Whatever it is, one of the signs that you're living under God is that there always seems to be some reason that God is mad at you. And we see in verse 2 that the disciples ask about the blind man's past. Remember they asked, they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, in those days, it was this man-made concept that people born with disabilities were born that way because either their parents had done something wrong and made God mad, or, and this is really horrible or ridiculous, that somehow the person with the disability had sinned in the womb and made God mad. And that is why they were born with this disability. So either way, under this gross misconception, someone had to have done something because this man was born blind. God was mad at somebody, and this man was paying for it. And I can imagine Jesus' face, and you kind of see it in the, in the movie, in the clip that we saw, when the disciples asked him this question, kind of rolling his eyes like, okay, neither this man nor his parents sinned that this man was born blind. I can almost imagine Jesus saying, okay, you know what? I've been meaning to bring this up. Can we stop with the whole who sinned, this man or his parents, and why is this? Can we just stop with that? Can we put that idea to rest? Why was this man born blind? He was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is what Jesus said, right? As long as it is day, Jesus said, we must do the works of him who sent me. He says, we must do the works. Not I, not you, but we, Jesus said. Let's go together. And he says this interesting thing. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. If you take this a little further, what does that mean? Because Jesus is not in the flesh here today, right? So who is the light of the world today? If Jesus is not here in the flesh, who is the light of the world? Right here. So Jesus is telling us something about what it means to do his works. Who has he set apart in the world to do his works? It's you and me, his disciples. Yeah, even the man born blind. We are the light of the world. We are the light of the world sent to let people know that God has not come to show us that he's mad at us. He's come to restore us and heal us and to redeem us. Have you ever felt like this man probably felt? Like God must be mad at you? Maybe it's because of your past. Maybe it's because of a condition in your life. And you feel like, God must be mad at me because why do I feel this way? Or why do I have this, this condition, this physical condition? Maybe you've just believed that it's a safe bet that God is probably mad at you. You know, when in doubt, God's probably mad. You know, why is it raining, Dad? Oh, probably because of something you did because God's crying, right? You just always kind of have this idea that God's mad at you, right? That's a tough place to live. I want to say, that's a horrible place to live. Who wants to feel like that, like God is always mad at you? And if you are in this place today, I have good news for you. There is another way, which we're going to talk about in a bit. And no, God is not always mad at you. Okay, let's look at the second section, the investigation. It looks more like an interrogation, right? What the heck? This guy just got healed, and now they're dragging him into the temple and like pounding him with questions, right? Another sign that you are living a life under God is that religion has become a trap in your life. You know, religion has become kind of a bad word today. For non-believers, religion is this kind of all-encompassing thing that you just don't do. You don't want to do. For believers, it's become this thing that we vehemently deny that we don't do. 
No, this is not a religion. No, this is not a religion. But for Christians, religion simply means the things that we do, some of them God-ordained and called for in Scripture, and some of them we just kind of made up, the things that we do to get to God, to please God, to know God. That is what religion is. Religion is like the tools that we use, right? But religion is not the end goal, and it is certainly not what saves us. But in the second part of the story, we see the religious leaders, the Pharisees, right? Hard at work trying to figure out what really happened with this supposed healing of the blind man. And these religious leaders, the Pharisees, they had the best intentions. To their credit, they thought they were doing what was right. They thought that they were the most righteous, and they thought that the rules that they live by could make other people righteous. But Jesus called them out essentially for imprisoning people in these very laws and rules. And one of the laws that they had was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day that was established by God way back in the early days of God's people in the book of Exodus as a day of rest and to be kept holy. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and one of those Ten Commandments was, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Now, for the Jews, back in those days, that day was on what day? on what we would call Saturday, right? Today, Christians, we celebrate it on Sunday because it's supposed to be a weekly reminder of the resurrection. That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And we see in verse 16 that some of the Pharisees basically try to shoot this man down by saying, this man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others say, well, how can a sinner perform such signs, right? Because if he he doesn't keep the Sabbath according to the man-made criteria they made, then he must be a sinner, A sinner like this couldn't possibly do or heal anything because God would be mad at him, right? So it's just religion arguing against religion. You have the follow the rules that we made up people versus the God is probably mad at you people arguing with each other. And meanwhile, they're missing the point. And what is the point? Jesus just did something amazing and they can't see it because of their religion. Because of their rules. And what's more is that they're trying to keep this man from seeing it, from seeing the amazing thing that Jesus did by using religion. And they don't even know how destructive they're being. They think that they're doing the right thing because this trap of religion is all they know. Now, the good thing is that this man was healed. He doesn't seem to fall into their trap. In fact, he gets pretty sassy, right? He actually starts talking back to the religious leaders and he says, well, what's your problem? You know, you, you dragged me in here. Why do you want to hear the story again? You want to become his disciples too, right? And then they get all mad and, <laughs> and ruffles, ruffles their feathers, right? And, they, right? and they send him out. But what a beautifully simple and yet powerful statement that he says in verse 25 when he says, you know what? I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. But one thing I know. I was blind. Now I see. And yet they're trying to trap him with their religion. They're trying to stamp out this beautiful thing that God has done with religion. And I imagine that even though he knew something amazing had happened, he left the temple that day pretty discouraged. Because it says he didn't just leave. It says he was thrown out. He was expelled from the temple. You know what that means? You know what that meant for them in those days, to be thrown out of the temple? It didn't just mean like, you know, if somebody started going crazy, maybe like they spilled their drink or whatever, and somebody was like, I'm sorry, we have to ask you to leave. I, I don't know. I don't think we would do that, but... Let's just say that happened in a church, right? Like you just stained our carpet, right? Like this big stain right here, okay? You just stained our carpet, so we're going to have to ask you to leave. It's not just like that, like, and then you can come back, you know, next week if you promise not to spill your Starbucks. <laughs> to, to put someone out of the temple in those days was basically like excommunication. That was like saying, leave and don't come back. 
You're not part of this community anymore. Can you imagine if we did that to somebody for spilling their Starbucks or for breaking the Sabbath or whatever? No, you're not welcome in this community anymore. You're not part of us anymore. That's what that meant for them. That was a big deal. You know, this is what religion does. I should, I should say, rather, this is what we do with religion. Because religion is not a lie that it can rise up and take over. Uh, it's a front that we put up or that we allow to be put up. But this is what happens when religion and not the presence and the works of Jesus himself become the focal point. Even the wonderful and beautiful and powerful things that Jesus does for a person get squashed. Because Jesus doesn't fit into the neat little boxes that we've constructed. And he doesn't work in the ways that we've decided he is supposed to. This is another way that we know we are living under God. Is when religion threatens to squash the beautiful things that God is doing. The third, the third uh, well, first of all, before I, say, before I say that, this sign of living under God, the whole tr- religion trap, it really has nothing to do with God at all. It's this fake God that we've set up. It's a false image of God. It's a trap. And here is God in Jesus Christ saying, that is not me. I am not here to trap anyone. I am here to set captives free. I'm here to good, give good news to the poor. I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted. Do you know today, my friends, that God does not demand that we please him through religious faithfulness? That is not what he has asked or wants from us. He does not demand that we please him through religious faithfulness. Be careful. Not to get caught in the trap of living under religion and calling it God. The third section that we're looking at is a section uh, where Jesus talks about spiritual blindness. A third sign that you are living a life that is under God is that you doubt the very real things that God himself has done for you. In this last section, we see Jesus finding the healed man after the Pharisees threw him out. And like I said, this man probably felt confused and dejected. He's thinking, I mean, I know what Jesus did for me. I know I've been blind my whole life, and now I see, and I know I'll never be the same, but wow. Now I've been thrown out of the synagogue, the holy place. So is God smiling on me, or is he mad at me? Is God in these criteria that the Pharisees have set up, or is God bigger than that? This poor guy was just waiting for someone to tell him, here I am, I'm Jesus, the Son of Man. Remember, when he got healed, and you see this happen in the video, right? When he got healed, he didn't necessarily know what Jesus looked like. So Jesus was probably walking along with him, like you see there, and he's like, okay, this nice guy's walking with me. He doesn't know. He's like, oh, can you tell me who Jesus is? Oh, you're him. You're the guy. Yes, I've been wanting to meet you because I wanted to thank you, right? When Jesus did the whole spitting with the mud, right, on the face. But it wasn't just knowing what Jesus looked like physically that Jesus was after This man was ready to believe, to spiritually see. So Jesus comes and finds him and leads him to believe. And he doesn't just lead the man to believe, but he lifts him up right in front of the people who were persecuting him, the religious leaders. He says, for judgment I came into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Be very careful, my friends, who once were blind and now see. Jesus is the one who's given you sight who has brought you to life, and no one can take that away from you, so believe and worship him. And be very careful, my friends, who are so sure about what you know and what you believe, those who have been in this Christian faith or in the church for a long time. It is possible that there is something that you don't see, so let God reveal more of his heart to you so you don't end up becoming 
blind. As Jesus said, if I claim to see, then my life must show it. Praise God that it's Jesus who helps us see, even through our unbelief and our doubts, because he is able. Amen? So what's the alternative? What is the antidote to this living under God? If the life we are meant to live is a life with God, how do we shift our thinking and our believing? How do we change the way that we relate to God? How do we change the way that we believe God relates to us? Like this man, how do we begin to see? This story says so much, and sometimes you have to read between the lines or read into what is said, but the character of Jesus really shines through his compassion, his grace, his steadfastness, his authority. Not only does Jesus lay to rest all these ill-begotten ideas that this man's blindness was because of someone's sin, and not only does Jesus roll up his sleeves and literally get his hands dirty with his own spit and dirt, But how life-changing that Jesus, when he hears what's happened to this man, he goes and finds him. And when he finds him, he lovingly leads him to believe because it wasn't only about the physical blindness. That was just the opener. Jesus' goal for this man and Jesus' goal for us this day is not just for us to see physically. Jesus' goal for us is that we would see him to see the Son of Man, to see life incarnate, Jesus Christ, to know him and to say, like the man in this story, Lord, I believe, and to worship him. So what is the key to living this life with God? I want to give you something to take with you, and I want you to hold on to this for dear life, okay? Here's a statement I want you to hold on to. We will never be able to experience life with God until we believe that God is for us. Can you say that with me? We will never be able to experience life with God until we believe that God is for us. Do you believe this? Do you really believe that God is for you? As in, God is on your side. God is in your corner. God's got your back. God's interested in you. Do you believe this? Because he is. He is. The story of the man born blind is evidence. My own story is evidence. Some of you can say that your own story is evidence that God is for us. In fact, I want to share a little bit of my story with you. Um, For those of you who have never heard uh, a bit of my story, uh, my parents and my sister and I spent many years in a toxic and abusive cult church environment. And in fact, this year, 2017, marks 10 years that we have been out and free of that environment. Uh, By the way, I don't use the word cult very lightly or easily. Uh, But since I've been out, I've done a lot of reading and studying about what typically cults look like. And according to the experts, the group that I was a part of, they fit the criteria. So when I say cult, I'm not just kind of using that word, you know, like just throwing it out there. Um, I was about five when I began attending the school. I was about 10 when we started attending the church. And I was 27 when we finally left. That's most of my life spent in that place. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about everything I saw and experienced there. Some of it I can share at a later time or in a different setting, and I will. Um, Some of it is probably not even fit to mention in any setting. Um, This group was led by one person. He was charismatic. He was charming. He was persuasive. He was intelligent. He was educated in the Bible. He was also a bully. 
He was awful to women, including his wife. He was arrogant. He was angry, and he was involved in numerous illicit sexual affairs over the course of several decades. And I'm not exaggerating. And I didn't know that then, and I know it now. I'll leave it to your imagination what it was like, uh, not just to be part of a church led by a person like that, but what it was like to grow up in a church that was led by a person like that. I saw him do things to people that you would never imagine any pastor here at Trinity doing. And if, if there are any board members here right now, I trust that you would fire my butt faster than I could blink if I ever did some of the things that I saw this person do. I, I heard him say things to people that were so hurtful and dishonorable that it would drop your job. He said things to friends of mine that still make me livid to this day or make my skin crawl. He said things to me that have taken years for me to remove from my mind and my heart. And this group of people, small and cloistered though it was, followed and listened to him faithfully. He had us convinced that he was so much more spiritually connected to God and so much more spiritually mature than we would ever be. And that anything he did that didn't seem quite right, well, that was probably just because we didn't understand. Because we weren't as spiritual as he was, right? So how could we ever understand? It was our problem. It wasn't his problem if we took issue with anything that he did. Now, the reason I tell you this part of my story is that for all of these years and for many years after I finally left, I was living a life under God. I was living a life under God. Looking at this story of the man born blind, I realized that each of the signs that we talked about, that you're living a life that's underneath God, this, this was me. I was living this life. God is mad at me. I believe that. I did. I remember nights feeling sick to my stomach in bed because I dreaded knowing that I was going to have to see this man the next day. And it was not because I thought there was something wrong with him. I thought there was something wrong with me. And this supposedly holy and spiritually advanced man was going to call it out. Really, God was mad at me, and this man was the messenger sent to tell me that God was mad at me. I believed that God was mad at me, and it made me sick to my stomach because I was afraid of this mad God. Religion is a trap? Yep. Oh, yeah, we talked a really big game about the perils of religion and how, oh, no, it's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. But in that environment, I could barely breathe. I could never say the right things. I could never do the right things. And if I was ever lucky enough to gain that leader's approval, it didn't last for long because it was always something else. He was always smarter than me and everyone else. He was always mad about something else. There was always some rule that I was breaking. Yeah, religion trap, definitely. I'm never really sure what I believe. Yep, that one's true too. You know, you know that someone is toxic when regardless of what they say, they make you feel like you need them like you can't live without them, like you are worthless or stupid or incapable without them and what they have to offer. Now, sure, we were encouraged to have our own encounters with God, but we can never go too far because heaven forbid that we ever realize that this one leader did not have all the answers. God forbid that we would ever question his authority or his knowledge. So despite the beautiful things that God might be doing in a person's life, when they tried to express it, they were shut down because they didn't say it right. They left out an important word. They did something to displease him. Nope, try again. It must not have been real. This was my life. This was my family's life. And what I finally started to realize in these last 10 years of healing and restoration is exactly what I am encouraging you to hold on today, that God is for you. 
I finally had to realize that God is for me. No, he is not mad at us. He is madly in love with us. Yes, religion is a trap. And even the most learned and charismatic people can be the perpetrators of that trap. And yes, God really has done something tremendous in my life. And I can know that I know that I know that I know that God has done this for me. And nobody can take that away from me. Amen? This one idea, God is for me, has revolutionized my life. That it is possible to be set free from spiritual blindness and to see Jesus Christ for who he is and not for who I believed he was for so long. Now, I realize that my story is unique and kind of wacky and far out there. Some people, when I talk to them, they really get it. If they've ever been in an abusive relationship or they've ever been a part of a church like this, they're like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And some people look at me like I'm crazy. But some of you can relate in other ways. Whatever it is, I know that many of you can relate to situations or conditions or environments or relationships that lead you to this place, this place where you feel like God is just stepping on you and he's pushing you down and there's no escape and you are under this God. And I am here today to declare to you that this God is for you. and You have nothing to fear. You know how we know uh, that this under-relationship is not the kind of relationship that God wants. You know how we know? Let's go back to the beginning, the story of creation. You know, there's one verse that tells me uh, that Adam and Eve were in a tight relationship with God and that they did not feel under God in any way. You know what verse, one verse that was? It's chapter 2, verse 25. It says Adam and Eve, or it says Adam and his wife. He hadn't named her yet, I guess, or whatever. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know what that says to me? You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of my kids. My kids, especially my four-year-old son, they love to run around our house naked. <laughs> or at least, at the very, at the very most, they, they love to have their chones on. Right? But they love to run around the house naked. You know why? You know why they love to run around the house naked? Because they know they can. Because they know they can. At home, anyway, not here, because that would be... If they were afraid, if they were afraid of being abused, if they were afraid of an unsafe home, they probably wouldn't do it. But they do. Because they can. Because that is how they are most comfortable. That is really how they can be themselves the most. I mean, what's more natural than your birthday suit, right? Let me ask you in closing, can you be yourself with God? Can you? Can you today, right where you're at, can you be yourself with God? I know that picture of perfection in the Garden, in the Eden, Garden, the Garden of Eden is not what we see today. I know that that picture has been broken. But did you know that God is making all things new? Did you know that he poured himself out on the cross for us so that we could see that relationship renewed? Did you know that God sent his Holy Spirit so that we can daily live in intimate connection with the eternal? Did you know? Did you know that this God has made it possible for you to be yourself with him again? Do you long to have that kind of connection with God today? Because you can. And you know why you can? Because this God is for you. This God is for 
you. He knows you inside and out. He's made you for real and personal relationship with him. And he is for you. And he's made it possible for you to be with him. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to pray. Lord, I pray for every single person here in this place today. Um, It's such a sometimes unclear, nebulous idea that we're supposed to live in this relationship with this God that we don't physically see or touch, hear. God, but I believe that this is what you want. This is not just what you want. This is what you created us for. God, I pray for every single person in this room today that maybe maybe if it's just a little corner of their heart or just a corner of their mind would start to kind of like a a book page, kind of just starting to flap in the wind, just starting to respond just a little bit to to this idea, even just the idea that God is, is for us. God is for me. I thought God was mad at me about something. I thought I was supposed to like follow all these rules or something, and then God would be happy with me. I thought there really was no way to, for us to know. It was just kind of, we just had to kind of figure it out and kind of float our way through. And the people who seem to really have it all together are just the ones who are faking it really well. God, I don't want to fake it. God, I want a real relationship with you. With you. And so I pray for myself and I pray for, for anybody else who has trouble believing, God, that you are for us. That you would chase away the lies, chase away the fear, and allow us to see that you are for us and that we can be with you in a real, connected relationship. Thank you, God, for the story of the man born blind. And I pray that each one of us would be able to say, whether today or sometime in the future, I don't know everything and I don't know much, but I know that I once was blind and I now can see. God, let that be. Let it be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.